Right, hey, good morning. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a new thing for Terry and I, but uh, since we moved up to northwest Arkansas, we have uh, kind of gotten into going to concerts and listening to different bands that we like. And early on, one of the first bands we went to, to, to see was one that uh, some of you guys may recognize. It's one of, one of those older bands, which is always dangerous because, you know, uh, how old are they? How old will they look? Will they be as if you remembered them? And then will they play the songs you like, or will they play, you know, some, some new songs that they've got that they want you to like, but they're not as good as the old songs? Anybody jiving with that? Have y'all been to small concerts? This was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which, which we have really always liked, uh, specifically a few songs, Under the Bridge, probably the main one, uh, mostly because, like, if we did karaoke today, that would have to be my song. And please, let's not do that. I, I, I don't want anything to do with that. But if we did, that would be my song because it's pretty much in my range. It's about that much. <laughs> and I can pretty much hang with him the whole time. But, uh, but we went to this concert with some friends. And, and sure enough, man, it went south quick. Felt like we had just wasted that money. Uh, they, they, in order to draw attention away from the guys and their age, they had this like psychedelic light show going. And it was just like, man, you couldn't even see what was happening. And then, and then they start going, and the lead singer pulls a hammy. No joke. He pulls a hammy. And you see it. He's, he's, he's gone, doing his thing, and then all of a sudden, he, he kind of goes like this. And then, and then he's, he's still trying to sing. And then, and then here in a minute, they, they pull out a stool, and the rest of the concert, he's kind of like this. You know? Man. If you want to feel old, man, go to a band and then, ah, he just pulled a hammy. But uh, the thing about the, the Chili Peppers is they've got this bass player named Flea. Flea. And Flea still had as much energy. Oh, sweet. Good job, man. Uh, Flea had as much energy as a five-year-old and was like walking around on his hands. And so he made the night, right, obviously. And, um, and we get down to the end, and the band's going off the stage, and everybody's feeling like, you know, this was a total loss. And then Flea walks up to the front of the stage, and he takes the mic, which I'm assuming is not his norm, because he's not all that ar- articulate, right? And, uh, and he takes the mic, and he says something. I'm not sure I caught all of it, but it was blah, 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 blah. Peace and love, man. Peace and love. And the room erupts, and everybody jumps to their feet clapping, and it is all fired up. And I left that night thinking about that, like how much power, right? Any beauty contest I've ever, walked, I've ever watched, like the girl says, world peace and love, she wins, right? I mean, that's like the, it's always the right answer. Why is it always the right answer? Why do we resonate so much when somebody brings up this word love? But we do. The world over, belief system over, this word love and what it should and could mean, what we think it should, what it, deep in our hearts, we know that there's power there. We all resonate around that. And that's the reason I think it's so critical that we, that we go through a study like this. And it's now been multiple weeks. Even It seemed like it was even part of the discussion before we started the Love Does study. What is this What is this love? True, authentic, real love and action, what does it look like? And we've started reading this book. If you haven't read it, if you're not reading it right now, even later on, I just encourage you to get the book and read it because it really is a great read. But, uh, but there are, this guy, Bob Goff, is telling all these stories 
from his, from his life, we assume. And uh, myself, the people around me, our small group, the question has come up a lot uh, this week big time. Like, man, is this dude telling the truth? I mean, really, is he, is he telling the truth? Because, like, you know, Charlie told one of the stories the first week this, about this guy who leaves his newlywed wife and, and jumps in the car to go try to help this high school kid, you know, from t- making a wrong decision. You're like, man, nobody does that. You, what? And then, you know, this is a story. He, his kids are interested in peace in the world. And so he says, well, hey, let's write some letters to world leaders. See if they'll let us come over and have cookies. And the story goes that some of the leaders came back and said, come on. And so he sold stuff and put his kids on a plane and went to visit these world leaders. And then it kind of finishes out by saying that one of the world leaders came back and stayed at his house. What? Come on now. But then I start looking at it, and I'm like, you know, this book has been out for a while. And you know the way fact-checking is today. I mean, if he was lying, I think he would have been called out. On top of that, he put his cell phone number, personal cell phone number, in the back of the book. And there's some folks that connected to the Grove that called the number, and he answered. I think he's telling the truth. But I think what happens is, you know, we look at a story like that, and it's so different than our experience. And so we go, it can't be true. That can't be true. He couldn't have done that. Because I wouldn't. I, I haven't. Because when I look at my own life, I feel like, man, I, I always play it cautious. I always play it safe and careful. And so instead of loving big, I, I love small. And so my love stories, if I were to write this book, wouldn't be all that great. <laughs> because I haven't really taken those kind of chances with love. And so I think there's a lot to be learned in this passage that we're going to look at today I think it really brings some attention to to what it would look like to love the way that God loves. And if Charlie was talking last week and the word for love was reckless, the word for this week is God's love is audacious. It's audacious, which is about the same, just different, so in case you want to look it up. Uh, But let's look at the verse. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to try to... Read it slow enough. Man, if you would, please track on the screen or on your phone or, or Bible. Um, but there's a lot here, a lot more than I can even get into. I'm just going to try to do, do the best we can with the time that we have. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God showing, uh, showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Man, there's a whole lot there. And the first thing is just this idea that God is the origin of love. 
So really what, do, what Flea was doing when he was up on the stage and, and everybody resonated with, the reason they resonated with it is because Creator God is love. They're resonating with the character of, of the Creator. He is the, this says, he, uh, love comes from Him. And he, in His very essence, He is love. So He's the fountainhead. He's the starting place. Love, true love. Now, I know when I throw out that word, that word can be taken a lot of different... I'm talking about true, authentic, real love. That's who God is. Now, I know he's got a bad rap out there and that he doesn't necessarily get associated with love because maybe we don't understand what love really is. True, authentic love is, is from God. It, it is God. And I think our origin story as children of God is, is really important. You know, and, and I don't know if you guys have done much... Uh, study on your ancestry and your history. I know that's kind of a big deal now. Maybe, maybe some of you have. I, that hasn't been my past. I mean, my, uh, my father's father passed away when he was six, and so I really never knew, knew him. Uh, my mother's uh, father, a guy named Clyde Griffin, and uh, he's, uh, he's the guy that I grew up. That's my granddad. Of course, but from the time I, I knew him, I, he was an old guy who didn't have a job, you know, I just knew he loved me a lot, kind of soft-spoken guy, a real servant-hearted type guy. So, I mean, I, I liked him, but I didn't really know that much about him. The older I got, the more questions I started to ask. I started to kind of put some pieces together that he was a, a soldier, and he had, he had that part of his life and his story. He, was, uh, he worked on the railroad. Uh, they lived in McGee, Arkansas, and the, and the railroad actually went right behind the house, and, and he would walk out there and, and, uh, and do things with the train. Uh, he was a mechanic. He was, uh, he was an incredible welder. And I knew these different pieces, but it was actually after his death that I started to really ask more questions. And I really like this guy, man. Uh, and part of my story is understanding who he is and who his, what his character was like. And so now I've got all of his tools, and there are a lot of them, the ones that got passed to me. And every one of those tools, you would be hard-pressed to find one that doesn't have some kind of modification to it. Some way that he saw that this tool was inadequate in this way, and if I weld this little piece on it or do this little thing to it, this, this all of a sudden, this shovel becomes super shovel. And so he did it. Every, everything has gotten, you can see his weld and where he put this extra thing on it. But that's, that shows you who he was. He was kind of this creative guy. And his, kind of the biggest thing that he ever did, I found out later, back in the day, some of you guys may have experienced this, uh, if you've lived long enough, my parents have told me about it, that cars, when you would go to shut the door, Back in the day, they, the, the door wouldn't shut easily. And so their parents would always say, you've got to crack the window and then shut the door. Because there was this problem that the air in the car had to get out, and so you had to roll down the window so it could escape so the door could shut. And so my granddad saw this, and he thought, you know what? There's an easy fix to that. And he came, he came right in here. This is him. Uh, this is his car. He came in here and cut a hole right there and put this little flap. So that when you shut the door, the air can escape, and then the flap goes back down, you know? Solve the problem. Every one of your vehicles right now has something like that in it that lets the air out. My granddad knew that early. In fact, he took this picture, and he, he put all the paperwork together to go get the patent for it, but he didn't have the money to actually go through with, with all, of the, all it would cost to get it patented. My granddad came up with that. I'm proud to be the grandson for a lot of reasons much bigger than that. But I, I'm proud to be the grandson of Clyde Griffin. You know, that's who he was, this, this creative inventor, uh, this guy that was solving problems. 
That's part of my origin. Well, as children of God, knowing that our Father, at His essence, is love. That's the God we follow. That's who He is. And that any time that we identify out in the world true, authentic love, it came from Him. That's big. That's big. And therefore, if God uh, is the origin of love, then what this passage says is, therefore, love is the identifying mark of a true follower of Christ. A a true child of God, a a, a true person who has a relationship with him and knows him, the way you'll be able to identify them is that they love the way that he loves. It says anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love, if that identifying mark is not there, then it says pretty clearly, he does not know God. So, across the planet, there are people who claim to, to follow Jesus and to know God. And we, it's not whether they, they, have, they wear the right t-shirt or are part of the right club. This says that the identifying mark is that you would know the true followers by, by their love. Uh, I, because of the, some of the things that I do, I end up uh, spending a lot of time in airports and uh, sometimes international airports, which I'm not a big people watcher. Terry's a big people watcher. I'm not a big people watcher, but you almost can't help it when you're in an international airport because all these people are going all these different places and there's a lot of interesting characters. You're always trying to figure out their story. But I'm, I'm more of a... Uh, I, I watch people who are watching people more than just a people watcher. Like, I go second level, all right? So... So I'm like, man, that's an interesting dude. And then I'm looking over here at this couple, like, I wonder what they think about that, you know? But my favorite and the one that I can't keep from doing is watching when there's an obvious group of people who are claiming Christ and watching everybody watch them. You ever seen this? Like a a group of people who are going somewhere in the world to do some kind of good, but they all got the same T-shirts on. They all have some, you know, usually a dorky slogan, I'm sorry, and a verse that's misinterpreted. And... They're the loudest group in the airport and very, very obnoxious and very, very all about themselves. And everybody around them is looking at them. And I'm thinking, please, you're hurting us so bad, you know. And there's this part of me that just wants to divorce myself from it. And at the same time, they may be true followers of Christ. I don't know. But I'm like, man, the team needs some help because our branding is hurting right now, you know. Uh, the other one that's really funny to me is when you're going a long ways and there's somebody who uh, maybe is going to, uh, to a place, you know, on the whole other side of the planet, and they're going to a metropolitan city where they're going to, like, be on concrete and in metros, and yet they're dressed like they're going to the safari. You know, like they got hiking boots on and, and cargo pants and, like, you know, like, dude, where are you going? We're going to be in the metro in a minute, man. We're in a city, you know. But you can always spot those people really easy in an airport because they're usually dressed like that. They're the only people in the room who are going to a big city but dressed like they're going to the jungle, you know. Like, man, I, I almost want to just kind of, I have a, a, back in high school, I, I branded uh, an igthus, that Christian fish, and then later on got a tad over the top of it. And then sometimes, although that symbol has incredible history and incredible meaning to me, and my passion for Jesus has only grown since then, sometimes that symbol has been tacked onto things that I don't want to be associated with. Is anybody feeling me? That, there's, there's like I want separation. At the same time, I want the truth of who this God and this Jesus, who they really are, I want it to be spoken. That God is love and his kind of love 
is the kind of love we all resonate with and say, I want, I want, I want a pint of that. Have you ever heard that? I, I listened to, a, uh, to uh, some guys that were talking about Rich Mullins, who was a, an incredible music, uh, musician, Christian musician back in the day. And uh, this guy said it. He said, man, I don't know what Rich was doing, but, man, whatever he was drinking, I want a pint of that, whatever that was, because it was the real thing. And I, I want the world to know the real thing. And I want to be a part of the real thing. And this says that the, identi- the identifying mark of a true follower of Christ is this kind of crazy, authentic love that only comes from God. Not the fake stuff. The real stuff. And then it says, uh, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And that since he loved us so much, we surely ought to to love each other, that the knee-jerk reaction of the love that he showed for us, this so much love that he showed us, would be to love one another, to love others. So God is the, the model of love, which is huge to me because, I mean, I can go to a class and some guy, some teacher can talk about something, or I can read it in a textbook, and I, I just don't get it. If you try to tell me how to go somewhere, I, I'm like, all I hear is just noise. But if you jump in your car and you drive and I get to follow your taillights there, I'll get there, and I'll know how to get there the next time. Uh, I, I need a model. And this says that our God modeled it. He modeled it in Jesus Christ. He gave us the picture of what this looks like. Uh, probably my best example of that, you know, growing up, my dad, he, originally he was a, a coach and then a superintendent of uh, schools, but then uh, ever since I could remember, he was an insurance agent. And so I grew up in the home of an insurance agent in a small town where my dad pretty much had everybody insured. So, what did I do, man? We, we'd go to Walmart, or they would call it Walmarts there, even though there was just one Walmart. It was never a 10-minute trip. It was always a two-hour trip. Why? Because around every corner, every aisle, my dad would see somebody and be, be helping them or talking to them about their life or their insurance needs. It's just the way it worked. Uh, I was, they, insurance agents that, that insure houses, you know, they have to go around and take pictures of all the houses that renew each year. And so that's what me and my dad did a lot of times. I'd be in the, in, in the car with him. We'd be going and watching him get chased by dogs at people's houses trying to get that picture he had to get, you know. I've been with him delivering a life policy to a widow after her husband had passed away and seeing him console and love and be there with, a, with somebody in their time of need. I watched that. That was just who my dad was. Well, my long story short, I mean, my, I've got this crazy, uh, I've been in the business, been in business type situations and and ministry type things and there was this stint that I was an insurance agent and it it was really crazy because I knew exactly what to do. I went to the school where they try to teach you and I could have been teaching the class. We started and I knew exactly, I knew what to do. Why? Because I'd watched my dad do it my whole life. This is just, this is just what you do. Our God, if you know him, the God that's revealed in these scriptures, he has modeled it for us. How has he modeled it for us? Man, he put his money where his mouth was. He sent his only son to suffer and die for us. He did it. He didn't just talk about it. It's not just a philosophy. It happened. That's how much he loves us. So he's the model. And so our only response is to love the way that he loves. Therefore, we must love first and love big, crazy big. Look at what it says. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our, our sins. <clears throat> he, didn't, he didn't wait for us to come to him and to somehow deserve it 
or some kind of safe situation and careful situation where he calculated it and loved, knowing he would be loved back? He says, no, he, he, he took the first step. He took the initiative. He loved, he loved first. Made me think about that movie Hitch. You know, that uh, if you haven't seen Hitch, you need to see Hitch. It's one of those classic movies. You got Will Smith, and uh, man, he's trying to help this guy figure out how to, how to win over this girl that he likes a lot. And uh, there's this scene where it's first date, and he's, he's talking about how to handle the, the potential of a first kiss. And he says, man, you get up to the doorway, and man, if she just walks right up to the door and puts her keys in and, and walks in, man, then you just need to, you know, walk away. But if she starts to jiggle her keys a little bit, like she's kind of hanging out for a second, man, you know, you know you got a shot. And then what you do, which I think this is really wise for dating, uh, you, you, you know, you just kind of lean in, and he says, you come 90%. Don't go 100%. In fact, I think he slaps him when he tries to go 100%. He said, no, not 90%. You, you come 90%, and then you hold and then, you know, if she wants to, she can come to 10%. But you come 90 and you hold. That may be a great picture for that. It's a, it's, that is not the picture of our God. He didn't wait to see if we were jiggling our keys. He didn't come to 90% and hold and ask for us to come, come to 10%. Our, our God came all the way. When we were running, when we were lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, going, each one going our own way disobedient enemies of God, he chased us down and he took the initiative the whole way. That's the way this love works. And then he says not only that, but when he got there, what did he do? It required the sacrifice of his only son. He loved crazy big. Uh, I mean, in, in, a, in an uncareful, <laughs> uncalculated uh, way. I mean, uh, he, he came and he loved sacrificially. You know, a lot of times I'll, uh, over the years, I've, I've spent a lot of time in India, and one of the things that I've found is the best way to explain this in, in that context is using a, a coconut, because to them, a coconut's a really kind of auspicious, special thing that they use in a lot of ceremonies. And so I don't know if you've ever seen a coconut before it's, the husk has been pulled away, but they are nasty. What you see in the store is not what they look like. I mean, they, it's like this really thick, uh, hair that's all over the top of it, and and you and it's real, uh, it's dirty, and and to get down to the coconut, you've got to shuck all that that off, and then when you get down to just the coconut, then it's really it's really hard, and you have to, I mean, you have to <laughs> waylay this thing to get it to crack, so that you can get to the white pure meat of the coconut. And so it's a perfect picture because what I'll talk about is I'll pull out one of those nasty ones that hasn't been cleaned yet and I'll talk about how this is what my life looks like, how I, I turned from God, how I, I disobeyed him. It's dirty, it's nasty, it's full of my own ambition and selfishness and all this ugliness. And then I start to shuck away all of that and you get down to the, to the coconut. But then in order to get to the white, there had to be a, a sacrifice made. And so then the first time I did this, I've learned a lot since then. The first time I did this, I just started banging it on the ground. And it, there's also coconut milk in there. And so coconut milk started to go everywhere. It was like you were at SeaWorld, you know, and it was really, uh, kids were loving it. Parents were like, no, it's good. But anyway, after it cracked, 
Uh, now I crack it and, and drain it ahead of time, so it's already. But anyway, that, after it cracked, then, you know, you can, you can talk about how uh, from Isaiah 53 that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And it's by his sacrifice, which we may like to gloss over and put makeup on and try to make real uh, pretty, but the sacrifice of his life, he died and was broken but by his sacrifice, we're made clean. God's love is like that. He loved first, and he loved crazy big sacrificially. And so you, when you evaluate yourself and you evaluate us as followers of Christ, that's, what, that's the kind of love we're talking about. Sacrificial, initiative-taking, not waiting, not hoping that's the reason I look at my life and I think, where are these stories? Well, I, I've explained away the opportunities I had to take those steps, you know? This happened to me last week. I feel like I need to share that. I, I was at the grocery store, and I walked out from the grocery store, and uh, there was a guy there, and he started giving me a story about how he needed some money. And, um, you know, it's, I guess it's maybe been a year ago, I actually... Uh, one of the sermons we were talking about, I was talking about, man, have some cash on you in case there's an opportunity that you can give. I actually had 20 bucks in my pocket. He walked up and started giving me the story, and I started to run through all the reasons why he was probably lying to me, you know? And I, and I, was, I was very, very, very like, man, I'm just, all right, you know, I had my hand on my 20. Then I decided, you know, uh, he told me his wife was around the corner and, and that he needed this thing. for. It was real specific. And, uh, and so... I decided, okay, I'm going to go. He doesn't need the 20. I, somehow in my mind, I decided he, he, he might, okay, I'd give him a 10. Um, but I'm going to check his story out. And so I said, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out, man. I'll, I'll think about it. And then I drove around and saw that his wife, sure enough, was in the car around the corner, the car just like he had described. Everything was just like he had described it. I finally realized, what am I doing, man? I'm not going to go bust this 20. I'm just going to give him the 20. And then I came back around the corner and and there was a lady handing him the 20, and he was walking into the store to get dinner for them that night. And I went, I missed it, man. <laughs> I missed it. I knew that I was the one that was supposed to do that thing, and I, and I didn't do it. And now that lady did it. And I, I didn't. I didn't. How many stories have I got like that? Where it was, where it was like that. But, but, but my caution kept me from, from loving first and loving big. Several years ago, uh, I had some college students that we went through this discipleship training type summer, and they were over at our house almost every night of the week. And uh, several of the students that were there, they, they had grown up in church, and they knew all the right words, and they had all the verses memorized. And then there was this one cat. And I'm not sure how he passed the application process. I'm not even sure. You know, at the beginning, I was curious whether even he even knew who Jesus was. Um, he didn't show up half the time, and when he did, sometimes I wondered if he was even really present. And it, uh, it frustrated me a lot throughout the summer. We had lots of talks, and I tried to help him. And we went on this trip at the end of the summer to Texas, and we had this huge plan of all these incredible things we were going to do to love these people in this community. And uh, we went, and we did it. When we got there, uh, we didn't have a place to stay, so we were just going to stay at these uh, college guys on campus. We were just going to stay at their house, just crash on the floor. You know what that looked like, right? I mean, it was, it was just nasty. And the yard hadn't been mowed, and I don't know how long. It was, it was past my kneecaps. I mean, it was, it was high. 
And, um, but man, we were thankful that they gave us some floor space. And we went and we did all these things. I don't remember any of those things that we did. I'm sure they had some kind of impact, but I can't tell you any of those stories today. But I can tell you this. We came back after a long day. We were beat. We all passed out and took a nap on the floor. When I woke up, he was gone, this dude. And I thought to myself, he is, he's run off. He's done something crazy. I'm going to have to go chase him down. We looked around the house, and we finally found him out in their shed putting up the lawnmower that he had searched out and found. <laughs> and he took off his shoes because he didn't want to ruin them and had mowed that jungle down barefooted. His, foot, his feet had turned green. He walked back in, sweat, drenched in sweat, like it was nothing. And I'm, I'm telling his story today. He wasn't asked to do that. He wasn't told to do it. He just did, he took the initiative, and he did something relatively small but massive. I still remember it all these years later. It was first, and it was big. And that's the way our God loves. And that's what he's called us to. And I think maybe the reason he gets a bad reputation is because his children haven't necessarily followed that model. In a world that's wondering what love is, have we loved that way? In the way that he loves? If I ask you to share your story today, what would, it, what would it be? Do you have any? Or have you played so safe that you've never been the one that took the initiative and that loved sacrificially? If it's cool, let me pray and ask that God would make us that way. Father, I, I love you a lot. And I, and I know that love starts in you. And so any inkling we have of what love really is and what it looks like, it comes from you uh, giving us enlightenment of those truths and of the picture we have of, of what you've done and the evidence that we see out around us that we need to own that that's you. That, that comes from you and that we need uh, more of it. We need more of it in us, more of it around us. Uh, your followers need to be more about that, about being and looking and modeling and identifying with you and your huge attribute of, of being love. And so, Father, I pray that you would make that true the world over, but specifically in, in my life and my home and in this fellowship. To your glory. Amen.